is the Hockey Flow. It's a show that brings you the best on the ice, and I bring you the best of commentators on the game. That is Marco D'Amico and Adam Boucher. You can find their work on Twitter. Of course, Adam can be found at ReallyAdamB, and Marco can be found at The Hockey Expert. And of course, you can check out ScrimmageAndStats.com, where you can see all of his great content, including the Top 62 Draft. I also want to shout out our Twitter handle, Da Hockey Flow, so that's D-A-H-O-C-K-E-Y-F-L-O-W, where you can get all of the latest action and latest episodes on all your favorite platforms. And don't forget, we have a website, too, which we post our show notes, which you can track and see all the different links to where we are thinking, where we're looking to get our hockey ideas. And I also want to hear last thing before we actually turn into the show over here. Uh, last week's episode with Mitch Brown. If you haven't listened to it, go. It is awesome. Uh, it's extra bonus content in there. There's a lot of great talk. And just Mitch is just on another level, literally. Uh, so just go check it out. Mitch is worth the time, if we're even if we're not. <laughs> Which I think you are, because you're listening to us right now. So enough with that. Let's bring us the big topic of the day, which is the Stanley Cup has a champion. And the champion is Tampa Bay. Let's bring it over to Marco. Marco, what are you thinking this about this? Uh, what are the key topics that we should be thinking about? Well, I like the fact that they were able to win the Stanley Cup without their captain. Uh, he played all of one period. Um, something like three minutes and 24 seconds. Scored a goal which is great, but um, ultimately I feel like the real leader on the ice for that run was the Conn Smythe Trophy winner, and in my opinion, the best defenseman overall in this uh, in these playoffs, and that was Victor Hedman. Um, really just incredible. Tied the uh, goal-scoring record in the playoffs for defensemen. Um, defensemen, I, I, I feel like the defensemen in this, in this entire play-in uh, were the best uh, to really step up. You know, we saw in the Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes uh, breaking the scoring record for defensemen as rookies. Miro Heiskanen had something like 23 points. It was re- he had, Miro Heiskanen had almost or exactly the same amount of points as the leading point getter last year in Brad Marchand and Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point destroyed those scoring totals this year uh in the 30s i believe so uh and and really again the leading the two leading point getters in these playoffs were under six foot therefore obliterating this notion that big teams win cups the tampa bay lightning had the smallest forward core uh i think of the last eight teams in the playoffs so again, talent wins championships. That's what we learned. Talent from and this. depth. I think really the big two takeaways. If you have that kind of stack, if every lineup is just rocking, you can can't be stopped, right? It doesn't matter about the size if you can put it in the net. But Adam, what are you thinking of the big takeaways here with the the Tampa Bay Lightning lifting the cup? And I also should bring in now, obviously, Victor Hedman winning that Conn Smythe Trophy, right? That's a big moment for him. Yeah, so Hedman really, as Marco said, dominated those playoffs. Uh, so he had 10 goals, he added 11 assists, 21 points, and he was playing close to 26 minutes per game, which is crazy, um, especially in those playoffs. Um, I do think, though, that it was uh, Tampa's redemption, right, from last year getting bounced in the first round by, uh, by really, Columbus. I, mean, I think we still can chirp them. I think we can still talk about that a little bit. Yeah, they, they, it's nice that they have a Stanley Cup now, but uh, getting spanked for uh, nothing out against by a team coached by uh, Tortorella, I think is pretty telling. Yeah, but they could have blown up. The, they could have made serious changes to that core, no. and they didn't. They came back with the same team and simply added to it 
I, don't I, I think it definitely it. solves the question marks. So, I just think that it's still funny to point and laugh. <clears throat> no, I know, but it just it also kind of goes to show you that like impulsive fans that every time they don't seem to meet expectations just want to blow it up all the time. Um, I think we realize the Tampa Bay Lightning winning this cup destroyed many antiquated or non-existential notions of success. One, you don't blow up your team if they don't perform to your standards once. Two, if you fail, try and try again. And three, if your team is still at the same level at the next year at trade deadline, then try to add pieces that could have been valuable in your last run. But don't try to emulate the team that won the cup the year prior. Be the trendsetter, not a trend follower. Exactly. The Tampa Bay Lightning have made the the the, the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, f- what six times? No, five times in the la- or four times in the last six years. That's what it was. And they did so having one of the smallest forward cores in the league, um, one of the youngest overall defensive cores at that time as well. I mean, it means nothing. It literally means nothing. They have a twenty, what, twenty-five-year-old goalie in nets. But they, it means they, nothing. It literally shows they us added talent. talent f- physical side to this cup run, though. They added Goodrow. They added Maroon, who scored some big goals, made some big, big plays as well. And they, they were able to keep the core. And we mentioned Kucherov, Point, Palat, Gord, who had crazy playoffs as well. So they were able to keep that core and just add some physical side to what they were probably lacking last year when they got bounced by Columbus. <clears throat> that is true. But I also feel like this playoffs, Kucherov stepped up. Whereas I felt like in the last playoffs versus Columbus, he, the moment he was faced with adversity, he kind of fizzled out. Also, you have a healthy Braden Point. That's a huge difference, Certainly. right? Because Braden Point had a hip issue that really held him down. He had to have surgery for it, I believe, uh, in the offseason, which is why Tampa was iffy about giving him a long-term contract because they didn't know what was going to happen. Now Braden Point is going to bank <laughs> serious dough at the end of this bridge deal uh, in ways that Tampa Bay fans cannot even comprehend. You keep saying, okay, you so, keep saying this this fact about like his small in size and stuff like that, but they only have five players that are under six feet, right? So they're, they're still tall. Like, I mean, in, in some respect. No, they're average. They average, are, I mean, not a big they, team. They, and, not a big te- they're not a big team. And sorry, three players under I six I have five foot? players under six foot. There you go. Five players under so. six foot. Yeah. But you also have 12 forwards. And, and they're all on, players, on, a, on forward, right? right? And there's a few, and there's like three of them that are like six foot. So the average of this team at a forward position is actually lower than six foot. And their best players were under, yeah. are under six First foot. First in playoff fights too. It's it yeah, to like pretty telling. And I mean, like it just, it, it changes nothing. Size changes nothing in the playoffs. It did in the nineties, but it doesn't anymore. Talent wins. Every single time. And speaking on this point, actually, I, I want to bring up the injury act, uh, injury action because one of the things we hear at the end of a series or at any end of the playoffs is how many players played through really serious injuries or, or, or serious things that were holding them back and we didn't really know about it. So, for example, we found about Tyler Sege playing through knee, hip, and groin injuries. I... I mean, I guess I throw it over to you, um, Adam. What do you think about that? I mean, obviously, like there's just this drive to win, but 
in this context, do you think like it, it made such a difference in some ways, right? It did, especially because I feel like the games were so close together in, in the current setting we were playing that you didn't have time for guys to to get to heal up or to, to come back right you would see in, in the years prior you would see some breaks when some teams would win in five or in four and always it was just back-to-back hockey so i think dallas really lot well they lost sagan they lost como they lost a couple players right for that last game and i think that's that really hurt them in, in terms of you saw they couldn't score goals right um so it really hurt them in, in terms of scoring in terms of depth and you really saw tampa based depth who they have three first lines almost right just scoring at will against an injured dallas team yeah well that that's <clears throat> that's also the point right like Dallas plays a specific style, a very physical, demanding style, right? It's both demanding on the players and their opposition. But you keep playing that, like, you keep going to war, and and I keep telling people this. This is the difference between playing Vegas in the conference finals versus playing the New York Islanders in the conference finals. Vegas, you know, given their limitations in scoring and, and whatnot with Dallas, that's okay. But Vegas took Dallas to war. They were f- throwing hits all over the place. That was a physical series, and I feel like it. I didn't knock the wind out of Dallas because they obviously won, but I feel like eventually they ran out of gas, and we saw it. Um, you know, it, it's clear that there were injuries. Like, Rupe Heinz was also injured, um, and Dallas is a well-coached team that was being led in consequence, by veterans, by a 37-year-old Pavelski and a 35-year-old uh, Corey Perry. But again, when you lose that depth at forward, and that's the problem with, with Dallas, is that they didn't have replacement-level talent that can come in and play higher in, in, in the system and be effective. Like, Denis Gurionov, for all the big goals he scored, once put in a top-six role consistently, kind of fizzled out. And I think that's the premise, is that some people play better with certain utilization, being on the third line or the second line or the second power play wave, based on quality of competition against. And when faced with prime opposition meant to shut you down, those players kind of fizzled out. Whereas Tampa Bay, those players are the ones that upped their game a a tad. Yanni Gord, we talked about him before, upped his game a tad. Uh, Blake Coleman scored the insurance goal to win the Stanley Cup. This is this is a guy they paid big to go and get for this year and next year. Um, you know, you you Cedric Paquette, you know, very effective player, not necessarily an offensive juggernaut, but did everything that was asked of him on the ice. And Andre Pilat, like this is a guy that was playing second third line all season. You put him on the top line and he suddenly became a hero. So, this is what you look for in a Stanley Cup winning team and in my opinion the better team won. I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. I think I, I was hoping against hope that Dallas would might pull out the win in an upset, but I, I think mm-hmm. the numbers were pretty hard to l- deny. I think in the physical hockey that you saw on the ice, the com- combination of skill and a little bit of physicality in the playoffs just really set them apart. And it just, this is the story that keeps happening over and over in the NHL. And yet we have boomer hockey dads that are just like, no, get size, get size. <laughs> 
you know uh we won't mention some local radio hosts that always emphasize that (laughs) um in any case uh uh, well anyways um i do want to talk about some of the uh sort of the external stories around the uh, the nhl playoff bubble and specifically there was not a single covid outbreak and i know that sounds like it's not really as hockey related, but just from a, a, a like a execution, a, a logistics perspective, that is a massive achievement because there have been so many leagues. The NBA is just next door. Uh, well, not really next door, but like has a similar uh, profile. They have a um, they're quarantined, I think, to Disney World or something like that. And they've had outbreaks. You've had uh, outbreaks in soccer. You've had outbreaks in football this past few weekends. So. This is really a testament to how well the NHL did. And I, I'm not just swallowing the NHL PR's hook, line, and sinker here. This is really a quite an achievement on their part. And it's kind of good that uh, Bettman didn't get booed, although there were no audience, there was no audience in the stadium, so of course he didn't get booed. But I think that he, this was really a quite a statement from the league that often gets placed fourth or even fifth in priority when it comes to sports leagues here in North America. They showed that you can take this seriously if you if you if you plan this out logistically. If you think about it, you can even have two cities and eventually merge it into Edmonton, and it was nothing but a success. And I I, I have to hand, take my hat off. To them because quite frankly that was not something i was expecting at the start I, if anybody had told me oh the nhl is coming back they're gonna hope that they're gonna be in a bubble there's gonna be no covid cases i would have said yeah okay there would have been at least a couple hundred <laughs> and it from the from the vendors yeah. all the way down to uh, for, all the way up to the players everyone did their job and i think that's that's a really it's a testament to the achievement of the nhl but really to the individuals who brought it all together so congrats to them anything you guys you want to add on that I'd like to add the discipline. Discipline, yes, true, yes. I don't think there's one sport other than like, and people are going to be like, oh, that's a weird thing to say. I don't think there's one team sport where discipline is as strong as it is in hockey. How do I say that? The moment someone remotely steps out of line in hockey, it is the end of the world. The moment anybody. To be fair, though, we do criticize that culture quite a bit in general. Right, right. But in, in the NBA, how many stories have we heard of them smuggling in <laughs> prostitutes? Like in, in, in the we NFL. We call them right now, Instagram models now, Marco. <laughs> oh, oh, that's cool. Do they get paid for modeling? Anyway, this is the G-Rail. Let's keep it clear. Let's say it happened in hockey, like in the NHL bubble. I don't think the player would be playing the next day and he would probably just get kicked out, right? You wouldn't oh, see those stories happening in hockey. Like, so I have to agree with your point here. I agree. Yeah, and, and ultimately, like, give it to the players for that kind of discipline. It's just, it's insane how much, like, this isn't like they just showed up and just started playing and were allowed to practice lightly. Like, they were in the bubble two weeks before the playoffs started. So you factor in that, plus the time actually playing the playoffs, like you're spending a good two months away from your family, there is ample room for temptation to try and like go to a restaurant, leave the bubble, especially in Toronto, in right? Like I mean Edmonton Nothing. too as well. Like these this, these yeah. aren't yeah. especially in Toronto. So it's not so much Edmonton. Edmonton, <laughs> like if you're gonna leave the bubble, chances are you're trying to leave Edmonton. <laughs> but that's just besides the point. Sorry, Salim. And we all love you guys, Edmontonians. <laughs> um, but it's just I don't think so. I really like. It just it's a testament because I think it's very obvious that the players are fit 
to do something like that. They're fit to make sacrifices like that because these are players that sacrifice so much just to get here. Hockey is not a sport that any Joe Blow can play on a, on, on a court in the backyard or something. It's It requires an incredible amount of investment. And that's something that's wrong with the sport. But when you get to some point like this, all those that discipline, those sacrifices, the, the kind of structure that are built into hockey players, I actually feel came in, in handy in executing something like this. I hope they never have uh, to do it well, again. Well, that remains to be seen as always. But uh, we... we uh, Salute. I can't believe I'm saying it. Salute the NHL and all the partners and all the players and all the vendors and everyone who put it together because it, like, quite frankly, what an achievement to not have a single case. What an achievement. Uh, And I know. Is it weird that I didn't want to boo Bettman? (laughs) I still booed him. He handed the cup. I, 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 no, listen, in the like, middle of a pandemic, you got to hold to some tra- traditions, okay? You got to you gotta boo the man. No, no, man. <laughs> it, it's bizarro world. He, he, he did. It. He did. He I, I mean, for, for Batman, I... Ah, such a... Ugh. And if this doesn't bite into their profit margins as much as we think it might, then exceptional so, uh, that's work. Actually, because this that brings up another point, too, because uh, earlier this week, uh, was, I think it was uh, Elliot Friedman on Hockey Night in Canada revealed that the NHL bubble, the whole total cost for both cities in total, everything, was at the high end $90 million uh, US. And at the low end could be about 75 but let's take the high end $90 million US. For context, the NBA bubble is still ongoing, and it's $170 million, Right? Yeah, uh, no, but surprising. it... First of all, it's in American it, no, currency. No, it's the same currencies between both of them. It's uh, both of them. Right, but you're investing in Canadian uh, It's true. There's markets, there's a little bit right? of discount there, but you can't you take away the way that the stadiums have to be maintained, the way that multiple games were being played. Comparatively to, to basketball, that is a lot much, from a logistics perspective, it's a little bit easier to manage in one particular space. You just have to clean it a little bit more thoroughly. I, I Anyway, I'm, I'm just saying from a parallel sports perspective uh that's very interesting to see and congratulations to them but maybe uh, i'll give you some points on that marco definitely the the canadian discount <laughs> the 30 percent discount that you get from our currency <laughs> now you gotta love, it. gotta love it uh but even then if you even if you added 30 percent to that total of uh, 90 million dollars it, it kind of kind of makes you uh wonder why there aren't more canadian teams then that's a conversation for another episode of the hockey flow uh, speaking of which, you can find the Hockey Flow on all major podcast platforms. All right, so let's move on to the next uh, particular topic because I think we're kind of drying up here. Is there anything else you want to talk about the Stanley Cup here, or do you want to move on to next? No, I'm done with the playoffs. I'm very I, much I, very focused. On I, I want to I want to throw out one question to both of you um, because all three of us were avid hockey fans. Um, we're all uh, we all love this game at different levels, obviously. The but I think that. All of us wanted to see hockey back, right? There was that moment where hockey went. Like, I'll give you straight up. We, I had tickets to the Canadians game that was canceled, <laughs> and uh, I was so happy to have those tickets. To be honest, because I bought them on the secondhand market and it was fine, and I got a little bit of credit back out of them. But I, oh, wow. I was, uh, but I was so happy to to try and get that. But I was so devastated I wasn't able to see hockey, and I, I was. You realize that if that game would have gone down. And Montreal would have lost. They wouldn't have I been know. in the play-in. Uh, so I, I know. It's how like how insane is that? Sometimes yeah. we don't know how things end up, right? Canadians will be picking eighth overall. Okay, so right let now. me get, get to the question here for both of you. And again, this is just more of a nebulous, amorphous question. But do you honestly were, were you happy that hockey was back? I I was happy. I was so happy when I yeah. 
Why I mean, I, I mean, let's be let's be straight. Now towards the end of the playoffs, you're a little bit hockeyed out. You're tired of having to stay ever, up every couple of nights. To, well, yeah, sure. Hockey, but like sure. I'm, I'm saying, like for now, it's like okay, I can take a little bit of a breather, a break, and start thinking about the draft. I can start thinking about potentially the next season. But overall, this playoff yeah. structure, this welcome back, the play-in series, all of that, we're happy. We were happy with that, right? My God, it was like the first what week and a half, two best. weeks. It was like March Madness meets the NHL. Ten a.m. hockey starts. It. Remember working. Yeah, I was working from home and watching games at noon. I was like, "What? What is this? The Olympics? Like more this of is this, great. please." <laughs> so no, I, I'm definitely. I was definitely. I don't have one complaint about the logistics of what went down. I think that this was done well. I think it satisfied a need for individuals who had a very hard spring and are about to have an equally as difficult autumn to winter. Um, you know, I've, I know for a fact that individuals that I speak to in Sweden and Finland right now feel the exact same way about their respective professional leagues coming back as we speak. So, you know, I think sports have always been the great distraction. Um, it's always been something that people can kind of confide in emotionally, secretly, uh, as a way to kind of disconnect from reality and just kind of focus in. Certainly the reality for all three great. of us, I would say. Oh, yeah, yeah, like just just for me, it was it was fun to look at, you know, an actual live game as opposed to constantly being uh, overanalyzing prospects uh, for, you know, past games. So it was fun to get new content. And I guess that's where I'm at. But I could definitely like I, I'm we don't know when the NHL is starting up again. So it could be in January. Uh, it could be later. Uh, it could be a 48 game schedule. It could be 60, it could be 82. We have no idea. This is why in that uncertainty, you appreciate what was done in front of you. And that's why forever will I be grateful to Bettman and the rest of the NHL for actually executing something beautifully in the country of Canada. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I'm, I'm feeling dirty complimenting Bettman. So let's that's end that segment right there. All right. Uh, let's move to our next topic, which is trades, trades, trades. And of course, signings. Uh, things are happening now that the offseason is now ahead. And of course, there will be more action as we head into the draft. But there were some big name trades and including some contracts that were signed. So where do you want to start off with first? Adam, I'm going to throw it over to you. Um, let's start off with the Hornquist trade. So Hornquist to the Panthers. If I'm not mistaken, he was it was announced during or after our last podcast, and then it, it then it was confirmed two or three days later, right? That's right. It happened late that afternoon, yes. and then yeah. uh, we got the official notice. I think on the 24th. Yeah. So Florida yeah. getting Hornquist, Pittsburgh getting Matheson, and Colton Sevier, right? Um. Still, a week later, I don't understand that move by Pittsburgh. Um, I mean, we see what Florida got. Patrick Hornquist is probably going to play top six minutes for Florida. Um, as for Madison, I don't really get why Pittsburgh made that move. They have uh, they have a couple of young defenders, right? Uh, we saw Marino this year. We saw Letana still carries uh, his weight around the ice if he's healthy. Um, yeah, I don't understand really what what they were trying to get in Matheson. I don't know if Marco, you have a count, counter on that one. I mean, it's 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 your classic Jim Rutherford move where he wants to shake up his roster so desperately that he wanted to move some people around. So he went and acquired uh, Kapanen from the Leafs for the 15th overall pick and, and Hollander and a bunch of other things, Evan Rodriguez as well. 
Um, so I mean, there was our, there were too many wingers. I think the writing was on the wall here. Uh, and so unloading Hornquist was something I thought was possible. I just didn't think that we'd be the ones they would be taking the worst, the, the worst of the contracts back. And so Michael Matheson making as much money as he is for the next, what, six years, uh, and the very low kind of performance, um, that he's had in Florida is a little bit concerning. However, from Rutherford's perspective, and I'm not even going to talk about Sevier, who is, uh, you know, a bottom six player that could give you good minutes. Uh, I don't think it's about him. I think he sees in Matheson what he saw in Justin Schultz when he made his acquisition from Edmonton in the sense that he could be a left defenseman that could be placed with Marino and kind of groomed uh, to be a little bit more conscientious of his defensive game in a more kind of established structure. Because prior to Michael Matheson's defensive game falling off the face of the earth, he had a really good season before signing his contract. He looked very good. The possession numbers were there. He's a good skater. And if he can bring his game back up to that, then it's a good move. The likelihood that he can do that? Eh. You know, like, that's kind of my thing, right? Why, why do you acquire a player on the notion that a player another player on your team is going to make him better. I don't for me that's not how things work. If you're going to try to acquire a player, you're going to try to acquire a player who can fundamentally perform in an isolated format. So un, you know, regardless of who he plays with, the player plays, right? Uh if you look at the way the Pittsburgh structure works right now, they have the same kind of problem defensively with Jack Johnson. So now your left side is getting Awfully crowded because Ricola was just re-signed to two years. They have Michael Math- uh, Michael Matheson. Uh, they have Jack Johnson. They have Brian DeMoulin. Um, you're, you're running out of left D here because you have four NHL contract left D. And then Pierre-Olivier Joseph, who's playing with the Penguins and Wilkes, uh, Wilkes-Barre Scratton. So it doesn't make sense in any way shape or form for me if Matheson were a right-handed defenseman I'd see it but then you wouldn't be able to place him with anybody because I don't you'd have to play him with Demoulin just to make sure he's not uh, a liability so no I, I really don't see the trade um, there's probably more to it right obviously yeah exactly obviously someone else is out the door uh I think maybe Demoulin could be the one that's on the move I think that would be callous I think that would be a very bad move but I mean, he's the only one that makes sense to move because if they're going to try and trade Jack Johnson, they're going to they're gonna have to. They're going to have to incentivize, and they're running out of things to incentivize with because they've just given their first round pick, and next year's first round pick in 2021 already belongs to Minnesota in the Jason Zucker trade. So we'll have to see what happens. But this is a classic case of a GM whom, hey, he won two cups. I give it to him. I'm not going to, you know, like he he has won three cups in the last 20 years. I'm not going to be mean to Rutherford, but this is a cl- classic case of a GM trying to save his job. This, this is what it looks like to me. I don't know. Like, I don't know if you remember Michael Matheson uh, just vividly, but I don't know if any of you remember Kotkaniemi's goal versus Florida, where he literally toe-dragged around a defenseman and the goalie before putting it in. That was Michael Matheson. And that is the main critique with Michael Matheson, is his lackadaisical, nonchalant way of defending, despite being moderately effective offensively. So 
if you're not excelling in one direction to compensate for the fact that you're not in the other, well, then you're a below average player. And so signed for that long, I feel like Florida kind of got out of a potentially bad contract and long term. As of now, they have him, because you mentioned he could play, Mattison could play left or right. They have him slotted at third pairing right D with Jack Johnson, which, yeah. Oh my God. I don't think that's going to work out. Oh my God. I think that pairing alone is going to increase the expected goal ratio of, in the NHL by like two goals <laughs> again. Any team playing against that's them. That's crazy. I would never put, I would never put those two in the same sentence. Never mind the same pairing. Oof. So where do we want to go next? What's the next uh, trade that you want to look at? Um. Well, do we go in? You can pick whatever you want. You can go whatever whatever you're interested in. Well, the the one that comes to my mind is the Mark Stahl and a second round mm-hmm. pick to Detroit. I think that that like, I don't know. I I was a little surprised that in a flat cap world, Mark Stahl and his five point seven million dollar contract for one more year uh, was only worth what I believe will be a mid to late second round pick. I think the Rangers are going to be a playoff team uh, if there is a season. So I imagine that pick to be somewhere around 47 to 55. Just to take on $5.7 million when the Leafs paid a first round pick to the Carolina Hurricanes for $6.5 million in dead weight by buying out Patrick Marlowe. So for $800,000 less, there's a potential 30 spot gap in the draft. I think that the island I think that the I think that the Rangers could have paid more to the Detroit Red Wings, but it's still smart from Detroit's perspective because they do have a very young defense coming up, Maurice Sider, Philip Pronek, uh and there's going to be more like they, they there's a chance that they could be picking uh But do they have something like 20 picks over the overall. next two drafts? Yeah, but it's a lot of quantity, not so. Well, much I mean, they, I know they have like, like six in the first sixty-five, right? Seconds. Yeah, but they're they have one first-round pick, that and the rest the is all seconds. It's not Ottawa like that have three first-round picks or actually four picks in the first thirty-five. So like, it's not the same thing. Uh, or or the Devils, for example, who have three picks in the top twenty. Like it's it's not that that's not the same thing. Detroit is just accumulating second rounders. Which is great. If they can make something of it, they're great. But most of these second rounders are late second rounders. And so or mid to late second rounders. So it doesn't it doesn't add much value unless they trade up. But this is a twenty twenty one second. So they they just keep getting their seconds, their seconds, their seconds, and that's gonna build up the depth. But that's under the contingency that Detroit continues to play bad and continues to pick top ten. Unfortunately this year, they were on the losing end of the draft lottery, finishing dead last and now are picking fourth. Um, but the Ottawa Senators know all about that, so it's not. It wouldn't be the first time. Um, it just brings you to the same idea that this is a team that needs to reach the cap floor. They acquire a good veteran with experience that could potentially teach the kids uh, a little bit more as they continue to grow. Uh, but for me, what this signals is that the Rangers are open for business. I think the Rangers needed to clear that because I think the Rangers are trying to retain some of their restricted free agents. Uh, and I also think that they're going big game hunting and but free agency. Th- that was so my next question for you, Marco, because because we're seeing. I'm looking at the the Rangers page here. They have just over 23 million in cap space, right, for next year. After well, yep. they they just bought out Lundqvist this morning, 
this was announced a bit before we started recording and notable RFAs are you, you have Ryan Strom who's probably going to get the most on on forward for the RFAs oh, yeah. forward yeah and then yeah, you have yeah. D'Angelo on on D which he's not getting how much is he getting five maybe 5.5 is is he getting a He's getting less than Petrie. He pro he, yeah, dude. I don't know, man. I think he might get like the seven six, the six million plus long term. No, seven would be for one season. Okay, no so. way. But a five point five to six point five range over five to six years possible. Not with the Rangers. He's so giving not. him six, and then you have Georgiev on the in nets. Who's I don't know how much you. No, Georgiev would be a backup in this case. So I don't think he's going to ask for So the maybe 3-4? Uh, no. Less? Okay, less. To, let, less. Yeah, because Shesterkin is, is going to be the full-on number okay, one. Okay, so let's say you have, um, between D'Angelo and Georgiev, you have maybe 8 million, 9 million. Look, I don't think no, they're done. that's the thing. I, I think they're going out to acquire I don't, and I don't, there's, there's a lot of talk that they need to trade D'Angelo because... They already have Jacob Truba making $8 million. Uh, Adam Fox, two years. who is potentially their best right defenseman, in my opinion, long-term, uh, not including Niels Lundqvist, who is currently playing in Sweden, uh, could be due for a very big raise in his next contract, which is right out of his entry-level contract. And I believe it ends this after the end of this upcoming he still, season. He still has a year in the after season this now. season. Yeah. yeah, it's it. After this season? So he signed a yeah. three-year ELC? Weird. I thought he was signed. Didn't he sign a 22? Oh, no, he signed a 20. So 22. Okay, my bad. So 22, then, yes, 23 is, is the year 22 now. For, for Adam Fox, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's what I thought. Okay. So you see, he's, they got to keep, you know, money in mind for that as well in a flap cap era because there's another guy that's also going to be an unrestricted free agent then, and that's Mika Zibanejad. So you got to be careful. You really have to be careful. This is why I think they're going big game hunting because it doesn't make sense to sign D'Angelo long-term when they have another guy like Niels Lundqvist coming in and Jacob Truba already there making $8 million for the next six years. Um, and then Adam Fox, who's burgeoning into another potential top pair right defense. So really, the focus should be on left defense. And so that's where I think the Rangers could potentially be looking at a guy like Tori Krug. It also makes sense if they would potentially look for a guy like Alex Petrangelo and then playing him on the left side. He did that in St. Louis. Maybe it could work with the Rangers. Personally, uh, I don't know what they're trying to do. They just bought out uh, Henrik Lundqvist today, which saved them about $3 million, two point something million on the cap for this upcoming season. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. The Rangers are going to be a team to watch. They're going to be aggressive. Yeah, should should be interesting. Um, in terms of other yeah. trades, AJ, what I don't think we, we have do other not. Trades. We I have a contract to talk per- about. Yeah, it was. We have it was signings, yeah, signings and contracts. So uh, I mean, you're definitely yeah. wanting to talk about Gagner getting his one year extension with the Wings, right? Excuse me, Gagner. G- <laughs> I just said Did Gagner. Say oh Gagner? my god, I'm so tired. You I should <laughs> probably mute yourself and go Gagner somewhere. Uh, this is what happens when you when you but, fall asleep yeah, at the wheel. Uh, sorry, it's just been that kind of week, people. But Sorry, I'm, is, for context, uh, people were recording this the night, uh, the day after the U.S. election, um, the presidential debates, and so I'm still a little bit rattled from that. So apologies. <laughs> anyway, Gagne, excuse me, <laughs> Sam Gagne. Yes, Sam Gagne <laughs> signing, unsurprising. 
um good veteran guy uh could help again at center um it's not necessarily an area of significant depth within the organization so uh just kind of making sure they have that covered is fine um but I, I thought we had like bigger name signings. I thought that well, we had Petrie, right? We had the Petrie signing. Yes, yeah. exactly. So there's there's that. That's probably the biggest contract that we need to discuss is is Jeff Petrie, um, because right now, if we look at it, it's it's the one with the most mm. amount of term to it that's been signed, uh, I believe, this off season with the uh, the Jonas Brodin deal. So Jeff Petrie, uh, currently. 32 years of age his deal will start when he's 30 33 and end when he's 37 and it is a four-year 6.25 million aav contract uh at the time of the deal i was thrilled um currently still thrilled um to be completely honest with you guys there are six defensemen in the nhl that have scored 10 plus goals and 40 plus points over the last three seasons and Jeff Petrie is one of them. The rest of them don't make a lick under $7 million. So the fact that Jeff Petrie is making 6.25 on a short-term deal, um, it's very well done. I think that you should also look at the way his deal is structured. Uh, no signing bonuses in the first year, which is 2021-2022. But all the signing bonuses happen year th- uh, two, three, and four. Uh, to avoid him having to get or having to concede all of that money in escrow. As the league envisions the profit margins rising and escrow kind of normalizing, that's when Petrie was looking to get paid. And I think we're going to see a lot of contracts like that where it's not going to be front-end anymore. It's going to be back-ended. That helps in two ways. One, it avoids buyouts for the players. And two, it makes them easier to trade in their last year because you give them their signing bonus and then they have a $6 million cap hit, but their salary is actually far less. It's probably in, in Petrie's case, it's, I think it's like 3 million in his last season. So for a team to reach the cap floor, it becomes also kind of attractive. So all in all, I think this is a valuable deal. Uh, Adam, I, you know, I love hearing somebody else's opinion on this, but I actually thought he was going to get more. I thought he was getting close to eight, closer to eight with, with like the numbers he put up put out and as you said marco i think he so there's five defenders he's in a group of five that made 10 plus goals and 40 points and i th- <laughs> uh, do you have the names with you i think it's uh petrangelo burns. headman uh burns and maybe I'm, I'm carlson uh, carlson both carl's uh john the, carlson. The, the yeah washington's carlson exactly john carlson carlson with it and they're theme. all making close to eight um, or more which exactly i think the one that's making the least is headman at seven point eight, uh, seven point six yeah so so you saw that deal really secured their right side montreal's right side for the next years for the years to come now i'm just and we saw yeah, and we saw Edmondson as well, right? So I would say our top four is secured for the next couple of years until our young guns come in and maybe jump up jump up the roster. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a pretty yeah. great deal for what uh, Petrie has put out the last couple of years. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people are just concerned with the age. Um, I think it's a fair th- concern to have. But I don't think that anybody who's watched Jeff Petrie play 
uh, really needs to worry about him kind of falling off the face of the earth. This is a guy who became better in his 30s. Like he hit his prime when in he got his traded 30s. here. Yeah. Usually defensemen will, yeah, and will even even after that, I would say, he he really kind of came into his own when Shea Weber went down for the count uh, in I believe December of 2017. Um, although, yes, he did finish with a minus 30, some, a minus 35 that season or a minus 25. Uh, it was his offensive coming out party. And I think what he's done since is kind of balance the offense and the defense, or he's become far more complete because he uses his skating a whole lot more. And this is an individual who started his career a little later than most because he finished school. Wise and, decision. And so Wise decision. On his body. Exactly. I would say so. Uh, especially where he went to school. Where did he go to school? So, actually, I don't know that. It just makes things. Yeah, Jeff Petrie. Come on, man. He's a good Wisconsin. Uh, he's a I good see. Michigan boy. Where do you uh, think he went to school? Michigan State. Man. And he was really good there. He played three years uh, in Michigan State, and then finally made his way uh, to the minor system. Uh, at the time, it was the Oklahoma City Barons, uh, and kind of worked his way up. And then within a year or two, was already putting up 20-plus points a season. So it was Jeff Petrie that I think what's made him better is that he simply just plays a style in Montreal that really amplifies his, his, his toolbox. So he's excellent in skating, transition, zone exits, zone entries, uh, really good shot. Uh, gets pucks on net. He's got a you know a very high amount of shooting attempts per game. So really for me, he he just fits all the bills. Uh, I will say this, and I've said this for a long, long time. Uh, your number one defenseman is going to be the player that does the most for you on the ice in all situations. I feel like Jeff Petrie can make an arguable case of being Montreal's most important defenseman. I feel like if the Canadians lose Shea Weber, they can somehow weather the storm because they have similar type of defensemen from a defensive standpoint like in Sherratt and in Edmondson. But if they ever lose Jeff Petrie for a long period of time, this team would crumble. So I think we can, all, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I think we can all agree that the Canadians didn't really get a discount on salary, but they absolutely got the bargain on the term. I think that's, that's the big takeaway from this, right? No, I say the you, quite, you don't think it's the opposite. I mean, I was expecting him to get five I years and but somewhere between 6.5 and 7 million. That was where I was looking at. Yeah, exactly. But any defenseman, yes, as we just explained, that had the output that he did would be from a pure dollar perspective. Same term, bigger dollar. Cap. Yep. Exactly. I was expecting four times 7.5. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't have gone to five because no one in their right mind is going to keep paying him till he's 38 and expecting this kind of production. So the way that I saw it was not that the Canadians conceded on term, quite the opposite. I thought the term was spot on. It's the AV that was far lower than I thought. If anything, I think this is a hometown discount from Jeff. All right. Uh, all right. Any other things before we end off with our kicker, our last story here? No, that that's pretty much it. I think uh, it, I will say that it's going to be a, a very running gun uh, next week and a half uh, in the NHL. So this should be really fun from a signing and trade perspective because teams. And we will bring you all of that action right here on the hockey flow. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're listening to it. Keep yourselves tuned in. You'll get all that action right here on the show. Uh, we're going to end up with our last story, which is a little bit of a fun one. Uh, going back to the NHL bubble, we were talking about the NHL players surviving the monotony of two months of isolation away from their their families, from their fan bases. 
but they got a little bit of assistance uh, from both booze and cannabis. So uh, essentially, there was a report that was put out by the Grow Up uh, Growth Op, excuse me, uh, and they discussed how a lot of players were actually uh, using edibles to get through a lot of the pain and also to make things a little bit more interesting in the bubble. And congrats to them. I, if it's legal, it's exciting. I think I, I don't like the guys drinking at a party as opposed to enjoying a, a weed gummy. Congrats to them. It's just, it, there, there's more of a recovery sense. It was what was described. Anything, any thoughts you want to add on this before you tag out? <laughs> yeah, they really mentioned, um, that it will help like a lot of players mentioned it would help them sleep right yes the sleep aspect for sure so i mean but aren't former players getting on this boat as well from a endorsing a a lot of companies yeah like yeah like mike camilleri is like the big one yeah so look it's a g-rated show i'm gonna be straight up with you guys uh if it wasn't for the odd weed edible here or there my anxiety would be through the roof too especially during our lockdowns so as a human being i a hundred percent understand the players here like you're away from your families for two months uh your pressure you got you're going through pain i'd rather that than them getting ridiculously drunk all the time or i'd rather that than them doing cocaine or i'd rather that than them doing like a ridiculous slew of pain medications like it's a great way for them to just kind of get away from it without any long-term lasting effect well, on the body. And I think that's what's key. I you think that's uh, that's results. another thing too. I, I hope this encourages more research into both CBD and also the THC aspect as well. I think both of them can be very beneficial to players, but le- more research is needed. And uh, it's glad that there's this little case study in the bubble that we got to see just from a fun perspective, but hopefully there's more research into how we can help players perform at their peak while not taking so much damage to their bodies. Because at the end of the day, you can give your life up for hockey, but those injuries you're going to be carrying for the rest of your life. So as much as possible, let's protect the players. Let's make it a safer game. And hopefully uh, the weed gummies will help out and factor into that, if nothing else. All right. That's it for the hockey flow this week. Uh, we really appreciate all your love and support. Of course, you can track and follow all of our work at the hockey flow on Twitter. And of course, Marco and uh, Adam are on Twitter as well. You can find Adam at really Adam B and Marco at the hockey expert. I'm Adrian Cordero. We'll catch you guys next week.